unfiltered, uncensored, and unapologetic. This is the Retail War Zone Podcast. All right, so tonight I have with us Dr. Jerry Carbo. He is the president of the National Workplace Bullying Coalition. If you look on the screen below him, you see uh, their web address, workplacebullyingcoalition.org. Their Twitter handle is at workbully. And then also we'll be talking about this later as well, the Dignity at Work Act, and where you can access that, which is dignityatworkact.org. So having said that, thank you, Jerry, for being on with us. Uh, Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into this, and we'll kind of go from there. Excellent. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Really excited to be here tonight. Um, uh, You know, I wish that uh, it was under circumstances where we're not talking about how damaging the workplace is. Uh, So hopefully in a few years, once we accomplish our goals, we'll we'll be able to have a different conversation. But um, I've been working in studying and trying to eliminate workplace harassment and workplace bullying for about a quarter of a century at this point. I worked in HR initially within uh, two different organizations and wanted to work from the inside, thinking that would be a a route to help workers. and specifically in addressing uh, workplace harassment. I saw some terrible cases of workplace harassment when I was in law school. Uh, Baker and McKenzie case was one of those. And I thought, you know, this this just shouldn't happen. And um, it it went from there to uh, some private practice as an attorney. And um, even there, it's frustrating because bullying is not covered. And so many clients would come into my office that would, you know, experience terrible conditions in the workplace, but it wasn't based on a protected status. So I went from there to say, this needs to change and, and, you know, sort of researched it as an academic, went on to, to get my PhD. And shortly after that, uh, published an article saying, you know, we need to have a strong law and these are some of the things that need to be a part of that law. And then the founders of the National Workplace Bullying Coalition, Bev Peterson in particular, reached out to me, um, asked me if I could help to draft some amendments for a proposed bill in New Jersey. And um, from that point on, I've been working with the National Workplace uh, Bullying Coalition. Uh, We've grown over those years. Uh, We've grown exponentially over the last three years. And our goal is to assure, first and foremost, to assure dignity in the workplace for all workers. And our focus is, uh, as part of doing that, it means that we have to eliminate bullying from the workplace. And we know that it has to be a multifaceted attack. So we believe in educating um, both workers and employers. We believe in the need for a strong labor movement that focuses on the day-to-day and that will truly address workplace bullying rather than either ignoring it or sometimes even making it worse. And we know that we absolutely need a strong law with strong enforcement. And so we also push for that. And, you know, and a big part of that is continuing to to conduct research. So we, we try to bring as many researchers into the fold. We bring them into the organization. We try to help researchers work together. Um, and, and I guess the last thing that, that I forgot is we also know it's going to be 
a while. It's going to be a fight. And so we want to also be there to support targets, to help them through what they're dealing with, to give them resources, to, to overcome the bullying in their workplace. Awesome. So let me ask you, um, do you guys do like outreach to different businesses? We are. We are starting to do outreach to businesses. We're also starting to offer services to businesses, things like developing policies, engaging in fact-finding investigations, offering investigation training. Um, but a big part of that is we also want to make sure it's the right businesses. And so we are working on a rating system for businesses that can also be used as an audit for them to say, these are the steps that you need to take to eliminate workplace bullying. And and our goal is not to promote businesses that don't have the proper motivation, but to help those that do have the proper motivation, that really, truly want to eliminate workplace bullying and don't just want to cover themselves legally or to make themselves look good in the press. So we walk that fine line when we're talking about businesses and talking to businesses. Um, did you get any kind of pushback from any of them? Like, no, we don't need you or... With, without a doubt. And, and oftentimes it's uh, more through their, their associations. So, you know, people like the, cha- the Chamber of Commerce who, you know, don't, don't want this bill and, and don't want this to, to, you know, be a mandated uh, requirement. And without a doubt, you also hear from employers, we don't have that problem. Um, the, my favorite one, though, that I hear from employers, and, and this is also, you know, has been part of my sort of legal and consulting career is, you know, when I um, explain the need for even a workplace harassment policy is that they're concerned. But if we implement that and we tell employees about it, we're getting going to get so many complaints, it's going to be hard to deal with. And, and I explained to them, if you're, if you're getting so many complaints, you already have a big problem. And the reality is there's a really strong business case for addressing this too. Um, that's not my primary focus. You know, I, I'm, I don't think we should focus on the dollar and cents side of it. But the reality is anybody who stands in the way of addressing workplace bullying is costing businesses uh, a lot of profit, efficiency, uh, causing a lot of turnover, absenteeism, uh, causing businesses to have potentially disaster in the workplace, as well as potentially workplace violence. Well, I think you summed it all up with like saying, the chamber of commerce would be against it because you know god forbid you put in any kind of legislation that gives you know the employee a set of rights that they haven't really had before because god forbid you slow down the profit machine yes exactly and and it's you know even even when it's beneficial uh to to their profits it seems like they want to stand in the way and you know um uh, we need more organizations you know, may, I, we may not ever get to the chamber to to support these things, and there are other business organizations that won't. But I would hope that some business organizations will step up and see the value of uh, taking care of their workers, assuring dignity, getting rid of bullying, um, even if it's for you know just the profit motive. But I, I I hope we can get to the point where employers see the see humanity in in their workers, right? In that right, those human rights. Um, so I know you guys have stories on your website and whatnot. I'm just curious, like what industries do you see having like the most stories or is it kind of 
even amongst all? So, I mean, one of the problems is it's rampant amongst all. So, you know, we have um, consistently we're looking at 30 percent of workers who are experiencing this on a regular basis. Um, but we do have industries that have been studied that have uh, high rates, um, healthcare, nurses, very high rates of bullying. Uh, one of the areas I've been working in specifically over the past six years is K-12. We have really high rates of, of bullying uh, in, in the K-12 area. We've done a number of surveys that show about 45% of teachers consistently have identified themselves as being targets of bullying. Um, higher ed, um, interestingly, where, where I work uh, the day-to-day, -day, we have high rates. Um, but this doesn't mean that other industries, we don't have high rates. Uh, one of the things that has been talked about in the, the research for probably the last five years or so is this need for industry level studies. And um, I would say that uh, retail, um, hospitality industry, fast food industry, fast food industry we know has extremely high rates of workplace harassment. That to me is a subset of bullying. So I would throw them in there as well. But industries where we see exploitation, we're going to see high rates of workplace bullying. And, and so we know in retail, especially amongst certain employers, and I think Kroger is a perfect example of that, we see the exploitation that we would just naturally expect that there's also a high rate of bullying there. Um, as far as targets go, this was something that kind of hit me. Um, what would you say would be like some everyday workplace examples of behaviors that would classify as bullying, but people are just kind of numb to and don't think that they are? Yeah, so in, I actually have done some recent research um, looking at why HR people don't identify things as bullying. And I think this is the same thing that we see from targets. When we talk about relational type of bullying, I think people identify that pretty readily. You know, yelling, name calling, teasing. The one that is really tough that people just don't understand the effects of it is when it becomes what I term, and others term, organizational bullying. Sometimes you'll hear mobbing used to define it, but it's where organizational policies are used as a way to to gaslight workers to exploit workers to degrade workers and then the employer uses the excuse well that's just the policy um, you know early on in my studies for instance uh, I had a, a, an employee who had been an excellent employee took a day off to go to her sister's wedding and came back and where all the employees went to go and look at their schedule, uh, the manager had written in really big letters, not scheduled for the week. And so in that workplace, it sort of meant like she must have done something awful. And all of a sudden, all of her coworkers are looking at her in a much, much different way. Teachers being reassigned to classrooms, different classrooms. Teachers given smaller classrooms, uh, closets. I've seen teachers given closets to teach from. Um, wow. You know, uh, scheduling, you know, giving you the worst schedules. All of these things that are policy type workplace bullying, people overlook it. And in my survey, HR students just on so many of them just said, well, that's just part of work. Or that's just part of management. And and it's not. It's a violation of worker dignity, and it's a violation of their human rights. Thank you so much for that, because that's kind of where I was hoping you would go with this, because, you know, uh, institutional, you know, bullying, you know, from a corporation is rampant. And, and basically, yes. it's like 
company policy <laughs> across the board. And uh, which, you know, you brought up HR, Irish Connection asked, are HR more concerned with the employee being bullied or are they more worried about the business being sued? The, the latter. I mean, and, you know, having worked in HR, you know, I hate to say it, and and having sort of grown up in HR in the 1990s when I, there was a push for humanistic HR practices, uh, that, that I think looking back i think it was really just about uh trickery it was you know the the uh the wolf in the sheep's clothing uh type of thing we're really just being good to employees to get as much as we can out of them but i i can't recommend a book highly enough uh, corporate confidential where uh the author and i don't have it in front of me but uh, that's the title of it um she just really lays out what hr is about and it, and they're they're out to very specifically, one of the things is to prevent lawsuits from the company. And so the second an employee becomes a potential lawsuit, even if it's way down the road, but they've identified that here's a factor, the job of HR becomes to push them out in a way where it's going to be very tough for them to sue. And that's that's problematic. Right. Um, there was a question at the very beginning. Do you make a distinction between bullying and harassment, be it sexual or otherwise? So I think the distinction is that bullying, if we think of it in terms of concentric circles, bullying's the big circle. And then harassment is part of it. Um, what we see statistically is status-based harassment, or in the United States, what's unlawful harassment, would be about one in four instances of the broader phenomena of workplace bullying. Beyond that, they're very much the same other than for bullying that's not based upon a protected status or um, the equal opportunity harasser, it's not, un it's not unlawful. And so there's just no protection in the United States. And we lag behind other countries in that protection. Now, would you consider, you know, obviously with the thing going on with King Supers and the labor movement and whatnot, would you kind of consider the un you know written policy of do not discuss your pay as an example of, you know, corporate bullying? Without a doubt. Not only is it corporate bullying, but it's unlawful. And, and you know, if there's uh, one um, thing that I have to say that the Biden administration has done great, it is selecting the general counsel for the National Labor Relations Board. And um, whether it's her directly who's doing it or someone on her staff who has made an outstanding Facebook campaign, their Facebook uh, post today was specifically about that uh, to to let workers know that policy itself is per se unlawful and to me it's a form of gaslighting and one of the worst forms of gaslighting because it suggests to workers that this is normal um, it suggests to workers that it's lawful that for employers to do this and if they break that rule they're the ones that are out of the norm so that rule to me is is one of the great examples of a really damaging uh, a form of bullying and we know that people are harmed by it it's you know it is people of color it is uh, women and um, and it's workers across the board too who miss out on that opportunity to discuss and one of the things that I see is when people start to Discussing their issues of work that drives working class consciousness and they're missing out on the opportunity even if they're all paid the same to start discussing you know how do you get by in ten dollars an hour and you know one of the things i would stress is if you look at the strike wave of 2018 2019 
one of the really big things that started that off was a teacher sharing their checkbook and showing that at the end of the month they had something like $2 left in their checkbook. It's a hugely important discussion. Um, you know, going to about what you said with, you know, the people on the National uh, Labor Relations Board, I have to agree with you because I'm a follower of Ashley Jovic from Apple. And, you know, she's finally got her case going through the NLRB, which I don't think would have gotten touched any other way. Yeah. So, I mean, they've got some bright yeah. people that are actually looking to do the right thing for people for a change, which is wonderful. They do. And it, it has been a long struggle at the NLRB. We, we've we literally had at times the uh, former presidents of the Chamber of Commerce who have been uh, board members. And so it's it's very refreshing to see a, a champion for working people. Uh, kind of touching on that, and we'll get into this situation a little bit later uh, here. But in regards to justice for Evan, you know, I discovered that the former labor secretary, Elaine Chow, is on Kroger's board of directors. And mind you, this is the same lady who on national news said it was your patriotic duty to get back to work during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And um, for those of us who've sort of followed the politics uh, like yourself, uh, yeah, it, it's not surprising that she's there. And, um, and I would classify her as the example of people being appointed into positions to really not help the agency that's supposed to be helping people, but to harm it. It's almost her being a former secretary of labor to me is much in line with uh, John Bolton being appointed to the United Nations uh, months after he had said that he would destroy the United Nations building in New York city as, as a good first step. So um, doesn't surprise me at all. And um, I can't imagine her being any help to the workers of Kroger's. Absolutely not. Um, what advice would you give to someone who's being bullied in the workplace that really doesn't know how to approach it? So there are a few things. First of all, document, document, document. And you know, at the end of the day, you may not have a, a legal outlet where you're going to use the, that documentation, but it does a number of things beyond that. You know, ideally, hopefully you do get a legal route out, but, you know, at a very minimum, it helps you because bullies are going to some, at some point gaslight you as well and say, well, these things didn't occur or these things, you know, you're not, you're taking them the wrong way or viewing them the wrong way. Your documentation protects you from that form of abuse. Um, the second thing is, you know, and I hate to say this, but you, you've also got to know when you have to get out. Um, exit almost always happens for targets of workplace bullying. And we're fighting to stop that. But, you know, right now the reality in the United States is you have almost no legal protections unless you can show it's based upon a protected status. And so look for those indicators. You know, is there something where you're being treated differently because of your race, your color, your national origin, your gender, your religion, your age status over 40, or a disability? Um, uh, but that, that, that last one or this one before that is really critical and, and I'm not telling people to quit. Um, you know, I think you, you want to take steps before that. If you can unionize, unionize, if you are in a union, push your union, get them to understand it. If they can't understand it, reach out to us. I would love to have a talk with any leader, union leader who doesn't understand what workplace bullying is. And, uh, but finally, at the end of the day, if you have to get out, get out because it is very health harming 
It is psychologically damaging. Uh, targets of workplace bullying uh, um, have triple the right rate of suicide ideation as non-targets. And uh, so often the story ends in tragedy and you got to get out before the tragedy happens. Um, have you seen a huge increase in workplace bullying as a result of the pandemic and the, politici and the politicized climate around it? So, you know, I think... We are seeing some of that in, in the research, but I think the research is undercounting it. You know, this is this is you know sometimes one of the critis, uh, criticisms of the Dignity at Work Act is our expansive definition of workplace bullying. But that definition comes from legal analysis, global legal analysis, and it comes from targets. And I think what's mis being missed is so much of what's going in, on in the workplace right now is workplace bullying, but it's being disguised as normal or just getting back to normal. Telling people to go into work in unsafe places when there are better options is a form of bullying. Telling teachers that it doesn't matter how many you know students have COVID in your classroom, you've got to remain in the classroom is workplace bullying. Telling the Chicago Teachers Union uh, that you can't teach from home, even though you're teaching virtually, you've got to come into the classroom, the class building, is a form of workplace bullying. Um, telling retail workers that they are essential employees and then paying them what clearly indicates they're not essential employees, not in a humanistic term, is workplace bullying. Got you. Um, Iris Connection asks, in a workplace that is serving the public, is bullying more likely? Well, so harassment's more likely. And harassment's a sub subset of workplace bullying. So I would say there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I've seen surveys about workplace harassment where uh, servers in restaurants, there's not a single one of them that said they had not been harassed on the job. Of course, they're oftentimes told that it's not harassment because it's just a customer being customers or that's just part of the job or, you know, that's, that's not really harassment. They're just messing around. Well, it is harassment. And and, that, and harassment is a subset of bullying. So uh, service work, highly susceptible to a specific form of workplace bullying. And, and that's harassment based upon any of the different protected statuses. And so when we count it that way, yeah, definitely. I think it comes down to a disrespect of boundaries. Yes. Yeah. It, disrespect of boundaries and so much of it is also about control. And, you know, and, and people think that, you know, sometimes it, that people are under them and, and that they should control them. And, and, you know, and that, that is just not, just not the case. We all have a right to human dignity. Agreed. And speaking of, you know, human dignity, um, before we get into the dignity at work act, I did want to ask you about, um, on your website, you have the, the COVID-19 rights report. Can yes. you go into a little bit of detail and explain what that is? Yeah, so unfortunately, most of that report at this point is is no longer relevant. Um, we had the FFCRA, which was extension of the FMLA, which was really the biggest piece of this. Uh, we also had certain rights if uh, to, to paid time off if uh, individuals contracted uh, COVID. For one reason or another, that was allowed to expire, even though rates of COVID were still through the roof. Um, but what hasn't expired in that is the Americans with Disabilities Act sections that are very relevant to COVID. Um, you know, we have, workers have a right 
to to accommodations and the EEOC uh, years ago under the uh, when Obama was uh, uh, president um, even drafted uh, pandemic uh, standards and part of that document talks about those standards and what what it means. Uh, the expansion, in essence, of a term disability, as well as the expansion of expectations for accommodations in the workplace during a pandemic. And part of that uh, relates to the EEOC guidance on telework as well, which is the other part of that document. And employers oftentimes will act like you have no right to to telework or you have no right to certain accommodations. Um, But the reality is it's a much broader and expansive employees have much broader and expansive rights to those accommodations and what they, what they realize. And so that part of that guide is still relevant. Um, unfortunately, and, and it's relevant to read it, the FFCRA to see what legislation we had and then to question, why do we let that expire? And, and, and why has there been no push to bring that back, especially during these times where we have seen uh, COVID cases skyrocket and, you know, uh, like we're seeing right now. It's all about wealth before health, unfortunately. Exactly. Um, All right. So tell us a little bit about the Dignity at Work Act. Uh, What kind of progress have you guys made and what your ultimate end goal is? Yeah. So the ultimate end goal uh, for everything that we do as um, as a coalition is assuring dignity in the workplace. Now, to do that, we know that legislation is ne- necessary but insufficient. Um, we we cannot assure dignity in the workplace without a strong law with strong enforcement. But uh, borrowing from uh, Lance Compa, um, we really need at least, at the very minimum, a three-legged stool. We need a strong labor movement that focuses on this as well. And then we know even with those two things, we can't please all employers. So we also need employers who will do the right thing and develop a- uh, accurate or adequate policies in their workplace. Uh, the Dignity at Work Act uh, specifically is built around uh, three types of research. It looks at U.S. Uh, harassment jurisprudence, and it starts with that as a foundation. Um, it then looks to fill the gaps of where we know there are problems with that uh, jurisprudence, where we know uh, the reasons that harassment continues to exist. It then builds on from international laws, laws specifically in France, Belgium, uh, and Quebec, as well as other places. And then it builds from targets experiences. And it's targets experiences that we use to define what workplace bullying is, to help us to understand what dignity is, and then to help us to understand the steps that need to be taken to to assure that dignity in the workplace and eliminate bullying in the workplace. And and finally, a big component of it is that we know that in order to stop workplace bullying, all targets need to have access to an adequate remedy. And so one of the foundations of the Dignity at Work Act is that that access to a remedy. Now, could you see, and, theoretically and, speaking, you know, if you look at the mental ha- health aspect uh, of it, could you ever see a time where, you know, the bullying and harassment maybe could fall within the purview of OSHA? 
I think it could. I think it could. And, you know, and, and that is that is a route that I would really like to see taken, especially in the interim, because I think that's an easier route. Um, but we need, again, the right people running OSHA. And I think back to um, the uh, late, um, late part of President Clinton's term. And uh, at that point in time, you know, people, advocates had fought for 20 years for an ergonomics initiative. And unfortunately, President Clinton left that off until the very last moment of his presidency, passed an executive order that added an ergonomics initiative. And then uh, uh, President Bush came in and by executive order eliminated it. So, so we need the right people there. We need people who understand that psychological harm is just as bad as physical harm, but it is, I think, an interim measure, and it's something that can be done through the executive, through um, through federal regulations that um, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be tied up in a Congress that that doesn't do anything and would be a great step. I mean, when you think about, you know, businesses, it's all about money. I mean, they turn a blind eye to so many things, you know, to protect profit margins. But, you know, if something like that was within the purview of OSHA and they carry the pen to write some really big, you know, fines, you know, you hit them in the pocketbook and maybe it would help change the culture a little bit, you know, um, and to me, you know, was it occupational safety, health administration, I believe, you know, well, occupational safety. I mean, you know, I would think bullying and harassment would fall well within that. I know there's a lot of people that would disagree with me because they're going to be like, well, too much government is too much government. But in the case of retail, somebody needs to step in and and regulate something because, you know, these companies are running around like cowboys doing whatever they want to do. Exactly. I, couldn't couldn't say it any better and and you know the the example i would use to say this is of what we just need to continue is you know the one of the the best parts um if not the best part other than maybe the community health centers uh thanks to senator sanders of the affordable care act was this push to to treat um psychological disease and 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 problems the same as physical and and what we need is that same push from osha because psychological harm is just as bad and oftentimes worse for workers and and we know that it can lead to tragic tragic events yeah and and i think that you know as we all get you know have gotten older and whatnot you think about it you know a lot of us were raised in a certain way. Well, you just, you know, suck it up and take it and whatnot. And, and there's a lot of people who still live by that. But the reality is everybody's different. Everybody's makeup's different. Yes. Everybody's mental makeup's different. And, you know, one of the things about, you know, here doing the show is trying to help people understand that, sure, you may be stuck in your ways or whatnot. And we're not telling you you need to change who you are. We're just telling you to be mindful. You know, because uh, yes. you don't know. I mean, one one thing I've always been taught was, you know, you don't know what somebody's going through. You know, I've used the analogy. You've got like a 17 year old cashier. You know, her parents just got divorced. She's got no money. She's on, you know, she just broke up with her boyfriend. All these things going on and she's on her last thread and you go in and, and, and berate her because she didn't scan something right. That can turn tragic. And you're, compl- yes. and, you know, and you're complicit in that. And I, I just think we need to get away, you know, as a society saying everything should be so black and white. Look, there's a lot of gray, a lot. 
Yes. And you need to be mindful of yeah. that. Yeah. I think that's a great way of putting it. It's a great example. And, and yeah, we need to get comfortable living, living in those gray areas and, and just respecting each other and recognizing each other's humanity and, and you know and maybe another thing and um you know and i'm a different person that was 25 years ago and and i and i hope that in a good way and something that i think about more and more is you know everybody that you look at is somebody's son somebody's daughter somebody's mother somebody's sister and you know maybe it would we could do a lot better if we would just remember that and view them that way and think about, you know, do I want my son, daughter, sister, mother, brother treated that way? Or how do I want them treated? And, and let's maybe at least start there. Exactly. Um, another question, uh, companies need to focus more on mental health for the abused associates, um, go through more than none or just the month, month of May. Uh, uh, formatting on the questions a little weird. Having said that, have you seen companies trying to have some sort of outlet during and post pandemic, I guess for uh, abuse and for mental health? Mm. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I spend a lot of my time looking at the bad stuff, you know, and, and I wish I could spend more time looking at uh, the, the good stuff too, that some companies do. Cause there are some good companies out there. Um, you know, I like to think of uh, Costco, although, you know, no, no one's perfect and they're far from, from perfect. Um, but, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen, um, the ramp up that I would have expected from that. I, I think it's interesting that we see, you know, this, this ramp up of you, you now can get the tests, uh, and they're required, but, but I think the, the requirement of the, you know, for, for coverage and, and further outreach for mental health is, is still lagging and, and maybe even lacking during the, the pandemic. So I have not seen it. It doesn't mean it's not out there. And again, um, uh, because my research more often than not takes me to the darker side rather than, than the positive side. Um, but it's definitely something I, w- I would like to look into. And, and if other people have information on it, I, I would love to see it. Um, and they also bring up, and I think this is where they were going with it, because uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, and maybe that's a good time for us to, to, to hit that up. Or maybe expect something to be done by may which means we need to begin the actions now to to get um the you know better services and i think the other thing that i would warn is we also have to you know really um uh come down on employers hard when they um violate privacy in those areas like we've seen with um uh, certain tech companies with EAP programs and uh, requiring uh, or trying to get information from EAP when employees go there. Yeah, I do. You know, most companies I have worked for, the EAP seems like an absolute joke, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you may have an associate come to you, I mean, you know, pouring their heart out to you, and all you really expect to do is hand them this piece of paper and give them a phone number and say, go do this. And nine times out of ten, yeah. they don't really get anything out of it. You know, and, um, you know, it's, you know, I've seen a lot of things too lately with like Sedgwick, you know, it's like, they feel like they've got all the answers and, you know, somebody's going through this thing and they're trying to justify, you know, for the sake of the company. Oh no, you're not going through this thing. It's this other thing. 
And the tug of war has just gotten so bad. And it just kind of goes back to showing that, you know, employee rights are pretty, you know, pretty awful. You know, there aren't any really. Yes. And, 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 you know, in this area too, I think for, for counselors and mental health experts, we need people who understand the workplace. And that is also a resource that we are trying to build on our website. We're trying to give, you know, access to, to workers for, for any type of resource they need. And so we're trying to grow our list of counselors that are out there. And if you know, counselors who are working in this area, you know, attorneys who are taking cases, especially if they'll take cases on contingency, we want to, you know, help targets get in touch with them. Um, and so please, you know, send them our way. And, uh, and, and if you're looking for some, go to our website. We have some, some of those resources already available. Uh, speaking of the website, you know, a story that you and I are very familiar with that, you know, I'll be covering here in a couple of weeks. Um, Justice for Evan, Evan Seyfried. Um, you know, some of the people in the community, they've got a hold on a hold of it. You know, we're trying our best to get that spread as much as possible. And the one thing everybody needs to understand, and this is something that Jerry and I were talking about before you've got a situation that was extremely tragic and it kind of highlights everything their organization stands for. Okay. I mean, yes. you know, there, there's an actual lawsuit. There's a complaint that you can read. And when you read it, it's just mind blowing. But the fact of the matter is no one's seen it on a national stage. You, you have to dig for it. You, you will only see local affiliates cover the story. And here we are with something. We're coming up on the year anniversary, actually. And um, no mainstream media has picked this up. I've actually reached out to some of the journalists I've talked to. They won't touch it. And that, to me, kind of shows some complicity in the bigger national media to not want to harm corporate sponsorships. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so get, I know, I know you've spoken with them. Give us some insight into that, that you have, what, what happened with, into, with Evan. Yeah. In, in, into the movement. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, uh, it, it's a perfect example of how bullying escalates spreads becomes what we call what we oftentimes refer to as mobbing or organizational level bullying where the organization not only endorses it but really supports it and that that uh really leaves workers with no place to to go and you know and i think that's what we see saw in in Evans situation and um, you know when you and you know Evan took every step that he could think of to get the situation addressed internally externally and uh, and there was you know nobody who would help him and um, and, and that goes to to Kroger's uh, HR department and, and and to their managers and you know at that point as uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned here during the, the podcast but we know that workplace bullying in itself uh, triples suicide ideation um, and, and at that point when there's not an escape um, people look for anything that they can and and, and that's that's the tragedy that we see in this case and um and it's it's heartbreaking but 
um, it's not the only case. And five or six years ago, when I started working with uh, a teacher's organization, you know, they, they came to our organization for the same reason. They had seen teachers who had uh, committed suicide because they were bullied so, so much in their, their workplace. And, you know, to find those stories was next to impossible. Mm-hmm. And the, they occurred out, out West and, um, you know, if memory serves me right, the only place I could find it was Los Angeles Times. And even there, it was covered as more of a local story than a national story. And, and we need to flip that. We need to, you know, maybe part of it is, Steve, is we need to get back to a, a labor press that we used to have. And if you look at the newspapers, you know, today, most of them, you can't even find a labor press within them. And if you do, it's a very small segment. And, you know, uh but we need something to bring attention to what's going on in the workplace. And, and the fact that, uh, Evan's story is not national, international news, I would say is just, uh, makes no sense. You know, there was an event that took place during that whole scenario that kind of speaks volumes to how businesses handle this. You know, there was the one manager that was accused of harassment and they transferred the problem instead of dealing with the problem. And that is something that I've seen, you know, in my career numerous times, people that pretty much, you know, you could hold dead to rights of some sort of violation, but rather than, you know, letting them go and cutting your losses, oh, we're just going to move it, move this problem to another location and hope it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Which just leads to it happening again in both places. Correct. And that's reality. So that, that, you know, that person was in essence not dealt with or even rewarded or being viewed as rewarded. And so that sends a message throughout your organization. It's signaling, it's storytelling within the organization. It sets the culture and that negative culture spreads extremely quickly. And, um, and, and there's no excuse for it. Um, as you said, you know, deal with it, deal with it up front and, and the, the problem is, again, back to the what HR is looking to do is avoid the lawsuit rather than actually address the problems. And the, the lawsuit in that case is, you know, um, is the target. And then, you know, and so they're getting this individual who might actually lead to a lawsuit from the target away from them to protect themselves from from being sued and then even down the road they may argue well look we thought we took a reasonable step to put an end to it even though they know that that would have had no effect do you think that now i I will say you know judging from the information i got that they did fail him in this particular instance but do you think that unionization is really going to be the only thing that pushes corporations into basically falling in line with these things well, I think first we have to clean up the the labor movement, right? I I think it can be, and I and and really I think that the labor movement is a critical key because so many of our laws as well have come out of the labor movement, and that's why for you know a long time now, for decades now, we haven't seen really strong laws. And an example of this is the Family Medical Leave Act. Okay, so we got some legislation, but it's unpaid leave, you know, so, and and when we know 75% of workers in the United States live paycheck to paycheck, well, you can't take unpaid leave if you live paycheck to paycheck. 
So it's critical, but we need a labor movement that understands that it's their job to protect workers on the day-to-day, to make their lives at work better. They understand that bullying is real. They understand the effects of bullying. And so I think it is critical. Um, at the end of the day, though, we definitely need, you know, at least at least three components, and that's that strong law with strong enforcement, a really strong labor movement, and you know, and then we also need some employers who would do the right thing because we're never going to be able to police all of that, and and we see that with OSHA, yeah. right? It's we don't have enough OSHA reps. So, well, the yeah. thing about the labor movement that that really kills me when you start digging into it is. You know, a lot of the pieces out there are just kind of cherry picked. You know, there's a lot of sourcing from like Reddit and whatnot. And, you know, it's happened to us. You know, somebody wants to talk to you. They've already got an article written. They just need some real people words in there. But, you know, but when you get the mainstream media, you had to, I don't know if you're familiar with the whole 60 minutes debacle with their uh, segment called The Big Quit. So they were trying to spin what the great resignation was, but they did not talk to a single employee. It was all corporate people. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, um, you know, that doesn't surprise me. I, yeah, I did not see that. I've, I've, I have to be honest, I've moved away from uh, some of the mainstream media, including um, 60 Minutes, simply because of uh, a growing history uh, of that type of reporting. Um, But I even see it in academia. I I have to say, I read a a paper recently that looked at workplace dignity and trying to define dignity in the workplace, and they only talked to managers. And it was their perception of what their employees thought dignity was. And, and that just, that's, it makes no sense. No. You know, let, let's talk to workers. And, and it's amazing. And I got to say, even, even if you're not interested in workers, I can tell you when you get out there and you start talking to people, it helps your own humanity grow. And, and, and you know, we need to hear from workers so much more. Um, this was a, a good one. Do you think companies are actually capable of investigating themselves to see if their organization has an issue? And then they follow with, I cannot fathom how so many could believe in self-auditing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, at this point in time, absolutely. I do not. And I have to say in when, when I really started studying uh, workplace bullying and um, a big part of this was investigation training. And I used to conduct investigations internally you know, as an HR person, as well as helped uh, organizations to develop their investigations. The whole center was, re- or the whole focus really was on fact-finding investigations. Um, since that time of the past 25 years, what I've seen more and more is the first place that employers go is to their defense counsel, and then they have their defense counsel literally do the investigation. And that's not an investigation. It's an interrogation. It's preparation for their defense in case they get sued. And so we have to move away 
from self-auditing. It's a, it's a great point. We have to have and require external bodies to conduct investigations. And where we've done that, we've seen that a couple of times as a result of the, the Me Too movement. Uh, we saw that in the NFL case uh, um, um, with the Miami Dolphins. The external reports, although employers still end up ignoring them, are a lot different than those internal reports that employers uh, find from their own investigations. Uh, Irish Connection asks, has bullying become worse in corporate culture over the last 20 years? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think it's become more and more a norm. Um, and I think the other part of it is it's become uh, uh, more and more discreet. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, you, you don't see as much of the obvious um, uh, harassment, for instance, obvious sexual harassment. Um, but what you tend to see more of is even in that area, the more discreet gender harassment, the use of policies. When we talk about bullying, we've really seen uh, what I have uh, seen is a move from sort of personal relationship type of bullying that we can all identify. We can even think back to, okay, well, that's a lot like the schoolyard bullying we saw as kids with the teasing, the yelling, the the prodding and, and things like that to organizational bullying or what sometimes is referred to as mobbing where policies are used. To, to bully and policies are used to to gaslight and and that has uh, that's become a norm and and too often now we don't even think of that in terms of as, as of being bullying right and now one industry that you know over the past year has really exploded with cases of stuff like this is the video game industry you know you yes. had the whole situation with Activision and whatnot and there were some horrifying stories coming out of this so obviously it's rampant you know just about anywhere and i would almost feel like the more prosperous the company probably the most you know more likely that it's going on there yeah i mean you know risk factors there are a lot of different risk factors um and that very well could be one too i mean you know sometimes that breeds entitlement it's one of the worst things that we can do in the workplace is to breed entitlement and to breed a view of not just sort of hierarchy in terms of instruction and direction of the workforce but what becomes a view of a hierarchy of human beings you know this level is a Above them, you know, not just in they know more about the workplace or they know the how to help people or instruct people how to do work, but but they're literally better or different than them. Um, isolated workplaces, um, but you know, on the other side of that, I think a lot of the tech industries and a lot of the startups and things like gaming are also very um, likely to see both unlawful harassment and workplace bullying because they're also very unlikely to have any type of training, even if it is at least that training that's really meant to just protect employers from lawsuits, at least there's something there. And we sometimes don't see that in these startups that become really big companies, sometimes really quickly overnight. Yeah. Now, the, when you were talking earlier about, you know, the HR tactics and whatnot, you know, going to their legal counsel, that, you know, you, you made the comment interrogation. It's also extremely intimidating. I mean, it's almost like, you know, they want to strong arm whoever has the complaint to, you know, shut up 
or, or just go. They, they would much rather that person just quit on their own accord than have to deal with it. And I, it, to me, it just seems I felt like for years that HR has been worthless, you know, especially in the retail industry. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, and you talk about training too. look, everybody that, that's worked in retail has had to watch some harassment training thing. And, and the company only puts any emphasis on it, you know, because they have to have it, you know, it's, it's, exactly. it's some sort of, you know, so they can show legally they've done this, but there's no enforcement of it. And most everybody yeah. watches it. They're like, Oh, here's this 30 minute video. And they're just clicking. They're looking at their phone or whatnot. You know, maybe that's something that needs to be changed too. I mean, you know, yes. if, if there was a division of the labor department that, you know, was specifically, you know, goes to buildings just like DHEC would, or, or, you know, any kind of environmental thing, you get an inspection on like basically the pulse of your building. You know, yeah. that is probably what's needed. Yeah, I, 100%. And, you know, it, this was an issue that we actually addressed at the EEOC Select Task Force. And, and you know, the, the clear finding is that those videos don't work. But the excuse from employers was, well, we're, we're so big at this point, this is all we can do, you know. And so while the EEOC report that came out from that said, we highly recommend against video training, we understand where that has to be done. And so so it's fine. And and I don't I, I don't buy that. I think we need to set standards that say this is what needs to occur. This is the type of training, and we need to study exactly what type of training helps with it. And and if that's external, it should be external. And you know, and this is this is another example of the difference in the United States versus the differences in other countries and where we adopt language in the Dignity at Work Act. In other countries, they don't say that employers have to take reasonable steps to address bullying or harassment. They say that employers have to take all necessary steps to address this because we've known of this problem you know for decades we've known of bullying separate from workplace harassment since the mid-1980s this has been studied we know the necessary steps to address it and in other countries they're willing to say employers you have to take all necessary steps in the united states we use this reasonableness standard and so what that means is if as long as all employers are doing the same thing 30-minute video training that nobody watches, that's reasonable because that's how we define reasonable. It's based upon what everybody's doing in the industry. That needs to change. And that's one of the things we really focus on in the Dignity at Work Act. You know, you bring up a valid point. You know, Irish Connection Isle, we've had numerous discussions about how it is here versus Ireland and whatnot. And the one thing, you know, when you really start digging into this stuff, you know, our country, for as great as it can be, has the least protections for workers. I mean, really, right. it, it does. And, you know, it, it's all, you know, it's all about money and whatnot. And, and he, he had asked also too, what do you think employers benefit from by allowing bullying? So I think it comes down to control. So, you know, I don't think the organization benefits, but I believe that executives benefit. I believe that managers benefit. And I believe that, you know, it comes down to control. Uh, one of the, you know, uh, my, my dissertation chair told me lots of wonderful things. But one of the things that she told me when I asked that very same question to her said, you know, look, why, why can't I get employers to do this? 
when I'm showing them the business case, I'm showing them that they'll make more money if they address this problem. And, and she just looked at me like it was obvious and said, because of control, they don't care about the money when they're making enough of it. They want that control. And to your point, Steve, this is control. I mean, control to the point of, as you said, we're going to intimidate you until you leave and you're going to leave because we know we can do it. And, and so that's what they gain. And, um, and, and our, our system of employment in the United States, we, sh we can't forget, is built upon a treatise written in uh, the 1870s by Horace Wood that was entitled Master and Servant. And when you start with the idea that an employer is a master and an employee is a servant, it's built on control. Yeah, it's already broken at that point. Exactly. From the foundation. Wow. Um, yes. That is something else. Um, well, I tell you what, Dr. Carbo, this has been fantastic. Um, I have enjoyed this greatly. Now, has Erica reached out to you about the other thing? Um, yeah, somewhat. I've got to get back in touch with her. She sent me a, a message, though. Yeah, yeah. So just let me know, and we'll, we'll get to work on that. Um, what I'd like to do is your closing statement. Yeah. So, you know, I think in closing is, you know, what we need to do is we need to flip things. We, we need to flip away from this idea really of negative rights in the workplace and you know, things that can't be done to really understand that in all walks of life, people deserve dignity. The reality is for uh, working adults, we spend the majority, not, not just, you know, the not just half not a third that a lot of people think of. We spend the majority of our lives in the workplace. To think that dignity is left outside of that door uh, just makes no sense. Human rights belong to all human beings. They are inherent uh, to all of us because we are human. And it makes no sense that we give those up in the workplace. And if you agree with me on that, I would love for you to, to work with us at the National Workplace Bullying Coalition. We are 100% grassroots, all-volunteer organization. Um, and the only way that we are going to get to assuring dignity in, workplace, in the workplace is through a movement, a national movement um, where you know millions of us come together and demand it. And, and I hope you'll join us in doing that because um, I I until we do that, we're gonna, going to see more tragedies. And, and I don't want to see any tragedy. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to continue this relationship further. I think what you guys are doing is excellent. I will help out any way I can. If you ever have anything that you want me to talk about or whatnot that comes your way, you just let me know and we'll do it. Same thing here. This is grassroots. I don't make no money off this. have no intention of making any money off this. This is just here to help people. So I want to thank you so much for being on tonight. Um, and everybody, next week, I'm not real sure what we're doing. The week after that, um, we'll be dedicating that week to Justice for Evan. Um, I'll have more details on that as we get all that finalized. Not real sure what next week will be, but we'll come up with something cool. But everybody, thanks for showing up tonight. Uh, the audio will be up later this evening for you guys to listen to on the way, work, replay, etc. Once again, thank you, Dr. Carbo, for being here, and we will see everybody next time. Excellent. Thank you, Steve.